Content warning. This episode contains discussion of sexual assault and suicide. Welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals for some more Steinsgate coverage. Coming into the last few episodes, this one is 1920, I think. I'm Alex. Hi, this is Blixa. I'm Phil. Uh, and today we're- <laughs> <laughs> I'm ahead of the game. No, no worries. We love you're always over prepared for these. You're you're a wonderful presence. Please, everybody, welcome Theta Waves. Thank you. It's good to be here once again. You know, I love I love all of our guests for all of their efforts and their presence. But I I especially look forward to having you on whenever uh, we can get you on for this because you just you're very insightful. Um, so what is going on in Theta's world? What are are you uh, uh, are you working on anything? I know you keep a pretty regular seasonal schedule. Uh, I do. We although it's been a little bit a little more lax this year. I've been trying to okay. change a few things. So for the summer, instead of doing something current, we had ourselves a little a little film festival instead oh, over on awesome. Twitch. Oh, cool. We kind of chose through a couple of community initiatives a series of eight films, anime films from the past. And then I chose a few as well that went with things we covered before. And we had ourselves a little mini film festival a couple of weekends, watched four films over a couple of days and then did it again a few weeks later, just to kind of, it's something we rarely do to go back and look at things that are um, old. The, the oldest thing we watched was Gogo 13 movie from like 1984. Oh, wow. Oh my I forget, which I'd never seen. That was a good time all the way up to some things for just a few years ago. We watched uh, A Silent Voice. That was not the most recent, but pretty recent. That was kind of how we kicked things off. We watched um, Tatami Time Machine Blues. It's probably the most recent thing we watched. And the Kaguya-sama movie from much earlier this year, where I guess the, that, so it's the, that range of things that we watched. And uh, I had a great time with it. And then this season, rather than picking something, we're doing a sampler platter because this season... Talk about fall 2023, by the way. This may, mm-hmm. this, it may be next season by the time this comes out. <laughs> the, there's so many good good to enjoyable things going on. We're like, let's not pick oh. one. Let's, let's pick a little sampler platter of things. So that's what we're doing right now um, over on Twitch. Cool. Do you have a favorite thing that you're watching right now? Well, you know what? I hate to ever pick favorites and, and, <laughs> and elevate anything above the other. But the first thing we chose to talk about was free run which uh, we talked about its 11th episode just two days ago. That's been a delight. That's a very different kind of story. Adaptations being executed at a very high level, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And the very end of the season, the end of the year, we're going to talk about Undead Unluck, which is another one that's just getting a all-hands-on-deck kind of adaptation. And it's just, even though they're, those are completely different kind of films, or uh, series, I should say, the effort, the, the love and attention that's going into them is so obvious that that's enjoyable regardless of how you feel about the premise, at least for my for my take. Mm-hmm. So those are the two I chose myself that we're going to talk about this season, and my uh, audience has chosen a few more. Um, so, okay. so those are probably two I would think, just top of my mind, those have been really enjoyable. Love talking about them, love watching them every week. So just out of curiosity, um, were you watching Attack on Titan? Yes, it, but, <laughs> but was the key word there. I am not yeah. current up to where I could have watched the the final part two, season two, part A, whatever it is we finally did. And partially yeah. because of how that happens. You know, I understand there was extenuating circumstances, but when you start splitting, oh, it's the last season. But this is the first half of the last season. 
Yeah. And the second half is actually not the end of the season as you may have thought, but and somewhere in there I'm like, well, I'll just wait till we're done. Yeah. <laughs> However that is. And maybe by then I need to go back and rewatch before I do. So that's where I'm yeah. at. I need to rewatch at least season four forward to get to the end. Mm. Well, I won't. Uh, yeah, I won't spoil anything. I'll just say, like, I had very strong opinions that made me unpopular. Well, I, 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 it seems to be very divisive, which is part of why mm-hmm. I, I hate that I can't immediately put everything down <laughs> and, and catch up myself. But uh, yeah. but I will. But <laughs> it was an interesting moment for me. Cause, like, I had to think about myself. Like, there's fandoms that I really, really love passionately that aren't necessarily excellent. And I kind of feel like the people who pushed back on me are maybe diehard fans that aren't really thinking about, you know, like storytelling quality, like right. in the way that I was thinking about it. They're too close to it. They're identifying with the series. I know, but I can't throw too much shade because I've been there too. Yeah. Uh, this is a bit of a problem, especially I think the longer the series goes, the more likely this is to happen. But a viewership will take ownership of a yeah. work as though it belongs to them and will begin to judge it based on what they thought it was or was about mm-hmm. rather than whatever the artist is trying to say. And yeah. if there is too much divergence there, well, then, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth is, is what you <laughs> yes. Even though their version of the story was never the story, was never going to be the story. See, this is my dilemma, okay? So until I saw your uh, analysis videos, I was unhappy with the ending of Darling and the Franks. And then when I saw it through a different lens, I was like, oh, this is a story that makes sense to me now. And I don't know where I am with Attack on Titan. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if there's something I'm missing. That's, all, that's always the thing. It's like, did, is it me or is it them? Which I guess extends to more than just storytelling and audi- artist-audience relationships, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, after years of having the same kind of like, how do I feel about this? Mm-hmm. How much does that matter? I've been happier just giving the artist the benefit of the doubt all the time. Yeah. And if I don't like it, well, that's okay. Yeah. You know, okay. it, it doesn't necessarily mean they messed up. All right. You know, sometimes I do think artists don't get to tell the story they want or they didn't quite get it across in the way they intended or they mm-hmm. lost track of whatever theme or uniting elements they began with uh, because process of telling a story is a little bit changeable itself. The The artist who began the story is not the one who finished it, especially if it goes on for too long. Mm. Yeah, their own worldview can change in that time. That's true. It's hard to, there's, there's too many moving parts. I, I do want to follow this up with a personal question though. Okay. Mm. Um, have you ever watched a show that meant a lot to you personally, like it moved you in a certain way and then the story soured in some way. I feel like if a story doesn't end strong, when it has meant something to me, it, I experience it like much worse. Uh, yes, definitely. And I agree that the an ending that doesn't land exactly can retroactively change a bit how you yes. feel. You know. Uh, um, so what I would reach for as an answer to that was the anime Wonder Egg Priority. Oh, a couple okay. years ago, which I thought was an absolutely astonishing work of art, but it hit production woes well into its run in such a way that they didn't have a final episode originally. It released like uh, three months later, so at the end of the next season, and was 
half recap, half seemingly just hitting all of the bullet points of the things they, I guess, would have covered given the time or more budget or whatever. I don't, mm. I don't know the full details of it because I try not to get too mired in that. Mm. But it's such a low point compared to where we began mm-hmm. that it definitely, it's like it's hard to, it's hard to even consider it part of the whole. And so it's one of those things like if, if someone dropped a billion dollar lottery ticket in my pocket, I might be like, I could use some of this to f- try to find those guys. Let's yes! try again. You know? <laughs> I've had those exact <laughs> thoughts. Oh my God. Because I'm so t- glad I'm not the only weirdo. <laughs> oh, not at all. I think sticking the landing matters a lot. You know, there, there's writing advice I heard, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago uh, that has always stuck with me, which is that the audience will forgive you almost anything at the beginning of a story, mm-hmm. but almost nothing at the end. Oh my God, that's true. You need to know where you're going if you're going to tell a story. And yeah. luckily, the story we're talking about today, I think, sticks the landing. Oh, right. though, oh my God. Even though that's not yeah. today. Episodes. What a great transition back to this, because like I and some of our other guests have had a lot. Well, we've all had uh, our problems with Okabe. You know, we're patient and we watch him grow and we forgive him a lot of stuff because we're like, well, the show's still young. You know, he, he's going to change. That's the whole point. You don't yep. you don't start with a perfect character and go up from there. That's in, that's not how stories work. When, when that happens, it's boring, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You get Mary Sue. We've had some spirited discussions about Okabe. Yeah. It's been real good. Um, and we're going to have one today because he very much upsets me in these episodes. <laughs> okay. All right. I know, what you're, I know what you're talking about. It's it's <laughs> under duress. Well, we're going to get there. Last time on Digital Wish Repossession Service, Okabe's attempts to save Mayuri were coming up short until Kurisu theorized that backing up to the original world line would require taking back previous D-mails. So the first heart to break had to be Ferris. Okabe defended her from a Rynet battler gang by blocking their fists with his face. Ferris's dad appeared, shooing off the attackers, but their relief would be short-lived as taking back Ferris's D-mail meant killing her dad and returning Moe culture to Akihabara. So, pretty good deal, huh? The next soul to be shattered was the newly cisgendered Ruka. Though resetting to AMAB was distressing to Ruka, she agreed to the plan in exchange for Okabe fulfilling another wish. Okabe had to be Ruka's boyfriend for one day. Simple enough, except Okabe had no idea how to be a fun and sensitive romantic partner. The date seemed a bust until Okabe realized the answer was inside him all along. Becoming Kyoin Kyoma, he spent the day with Ruka doing what she loved, training with a sword while Okabe screamed encouragement at her. Will the other D-mails be reclaimed this smoothly? Can Okabe express himself without assaulting anyone? Whatever happened to Nye and Mr. Braun? Let's find out. Well done. Cool beans. Okay. I am pretty excited about these two episodes. I'm, I'm vaguely apprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> and this is episode 19. All right. Three, two, one, play. You know, this is my favorite kind of credit sequence doesn't give anything away. Yeah, yeah. But the things that seem abstract or just stylistic as you go along start to take on meaning, not yeah. just the th- not just the scenes that are interspersed, but just you know, there being multiple versions of everybody, all the uh-huh. gears and 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 time elements and the where people even stand next to each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I never I I have still haven't figured out what 
uh, Okabe and Suzuha are at, at the end of the intro sequence. They're the only ones faced in one direction. And I never could square like why it's the two of them. Hmm. Oh, you know, maybe it's because like Suzuha, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it's because Suzuha lives in the world where CERN controls everything. And Okabe does too, but his is a fantasy at the beginning. It's not CERN, it's mm. the evil organization. Yeah, his whole delusions becoming reality is also an interesting thread to follow through this. Oh. Yes. Roller coaster of an episode. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's very focused, right? Like, not that the previous episodes haven't been, but this one is like super focused. Like, almost the entirety of the episode happens in this one room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This episode makes me deeply uncomfortable, but I think that's purposeful. I think the episode is trying to do that. So like good on the creators for that. Mm -hmm. But what I love uh, the most out of this episode is the fake out um, or the misdirection of they show Moika on top of the building at the beginning and they show the camera tilt, like someone jumping off of the building. And then later Okabe finds the house or the apartment and she's killed herself. And you're like, oh, those are the same event. And it's not until later that you're like, no, no, no. When she was 16 or something, she was suicidal. And she got this miraculous message that saved her life. And mm. so it makes this, this FB thing, this personage, it makes it very complicated and tantalizing because it's like controlling her. It's exploiting her, telling her to making her do things that are like immoral, maybe against her own will. But then also it did save her life. So it doesn't excuse the things that FB is asking her to do, but it does complicate that relationship a lot. Feels very MK Ultra, like mm. somebody finding fragile people and manipulating them for control or like, uh, I guess, cult-like too, you could say. Mm -hmm. Someone very vulnerable. Uh, you know, it's really struck me watching this and watched it in years, like I said earlier, is that this is similar to what happened with the undoing of the previous D-mails in, in this sense. Ruka, both, both Ferris and Rukako think of Okabe as a kind of prince savior. He rescued them when they were in trouble. That's actually part yes. of what goes into why they decide to, to help him, or at least it's brought up as a reason they one of the reasons that they feel the way they do about him and are willing to hear him out mm -hmm. when he's saying outlandish things is that he mm -hmm. interceded for them. He saved them in situations that, where they were vulnerable or afraid and all that. So that's posted, that's a presented as this positive thing. That Okabe was a kind of hero character to them, and that's why he was able to get to this uh, extreme thing he asked them to do. Well, now in this episode... Moika also was saved by somebody. She was mm -hmm. also feels a certain way about FB because of how she feels rescued. But that's presented as the problem that she has this mm -hmm. extreme loyalty. She's also willing to do extreme things that are asked of her because of having been saved. So it takes that thing instead of showing it as a universal hero, savior, um, and how that affects people being a net good all the time it's the mm -hmm. problem it's the obstacle here we get the the double fake out the two d-mails that don't change a thing because you didn't change 
the way she feels about FB. That's where you didn't use that whole connection to do it. You used a different yes. kind of you threat force, uh, trying to hit her with some ugly reality. None of that works. Mm. I don't think I remembered them being so parallel like that from whenever I watched it before. <clears throat> it's interesting. hundred percent. And it makes the, the reveal of FB in the next episode, like so visceral because you know, they really are parallel. They're right next to each other for years, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I love that juxtaposition of these two, kind of this, you know, the person who saved me, I owe them my life, this almost hero worship complex that happens. Um, because the only discernible difference I can see is that Okabe does it in person. He's a more fully real person to you know, everyone in the cast, Mayori and and especially Ferris and Ruka, whereas FB has always only been in text form. And I'm not saying you can't have a relationship with someone only online or only in text form, but you get less, I guess, ancillary data to make your uh, assumptions about someone uh, uh, and, and to get your idea of that person in your head because a text-based con- uh, 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 relationship can be so heavily curated from one end. But also there's a real big difference in like the power dynamics between what Okabe does and FB. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's definitely, Okabe is a more, should be a more realized character to them because like you said, a curated image is what's been presented. Whereas Rukako yeah. and Ferris see all of Okabe's ridiculousness yeah. and faults. He is not like, curated at all. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> gosh, it's like, could you curate it yourself a little bit, please? Um, <laughs> yes, the, the filter. <laughs> no, they're also the two that play along with his whole chuny thing more than anybody else, too. Yeah. You know? And there's the danger there that if someone's only on, over uh, the phone or the internet or especially text message, they can ghost you, yeah. which like... I'm sure, I don't know if all of us have experienced that. I've definitely experienced that in my life, someone ghosting them. Mm-hmm. And like, it is this maddening thing. And if the person ghosting to you, ghosting you is your reason for living, mm. well then, like, you know, Moika is inconsolable in this episode, violent even, yeah. in, in, in to a point where Okabe matches her with like really disturbing violence of his own. But the way it's set up, like the storytelling is really good because it's completely believable mm-hmm. that she would react that badly. Yeah, the, the contrast to how she'd been before is so deliberate. You, understand, you Once you see this, you're like, oh, that's exactly why it's been this way. She's been she's not just one among all these other odd characters that we've somehow assembled. It is building to this, this reveal about why she does the way she th- uh, does things. Why, and then why she's been characterized that. So we have an episode like this where it's so shockingly different than what has come before in many ways, you know, like how mm-hmm. things play out, the way she acts. You know, one of the things that's very uncomfortable about this episode to me, uh, you have the violence and all that, but a lot of the imagery and even some of the action has a very like sexual assault feel yes. to it, which is not what's happening, right? But in uh, terms of the impact it has on her, it's pretty similar. Like it's that yes. severe of a emotionally disturbing thing that happens to her, the loss of the phone. Mm-hmm. That, and so those images let us understand how that she feels violated in a very similar way. And, and we get to share in that discomfort. 
is sitting here in the audience uh, in a way we yeah. wouldn't if we just saw her fly off the handle and and just be like, no, no, my phone, please, my, my phone. That's How dare you? Uh, that mm-hmm. just doesn't hit the same. <laughs> yeah. So, Alex, you wouldn't have done it. Like, if you were at risk of being caught and the idea occurred to you, it's like you can feign, like, an intimate moment and the neighbor would move along. Uh, you never know what you're going to do until you're in that situation. But yeah. I would like to think that I would try to, I understand that Okabe is almost manic because he has Mayuri's life yeah. as the stakes for this. But I would like to think that I would try to sympathize with her mm-hmm. over and over before I did anything like grab the phone out of her hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she is clearly like an unhinged person. And all of those reactions are not how you re- respond to someone having a manic episode. A hundred percent. And the, I, I'm so glad you, you brought that up. You put it so well, uh, uh, Theta. Like, it is evoking this sexual assault imagery. This uh, the, the sexual assault is not what's actually happened, but it is evoking a violation of Moika. One, like Okabe is kind of manifesting that violation in the here and now. But what we're actually experiencing is the violation of FB, the realization within Mm. her that this person was exploiting her, that this person is not who she thought they were. Mm. Oh, my God, this is complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And one of the uh, like details that makes it so disturbing to me is the neighbor right? Mm -hmm. Because the neighbor hears a bunch of noise, tries to ignore it. It keeps going. And so she's like, okay, I'll go check it out. And then she sees what does not look like a consensual, even if it's like a kink, you know, Mm -hmm. exhibitionism thing, it does not look like a consensual scene. And yet she doesn't do anything. And like, I'm not a call the cops person, but I can't believe that she didn't call the cops or go in there herself or rouse the other neighbors or something, right? I've heard that if you are being assaulted on the street, you don't yell rape, you yell fire because there's something so disturbing about sexual assault that people just go, no, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, there's several things at play. There's diffused responsibility. Like people will convince themselves, like even if it's clear they're the only chance for help, they'll convince themselves that someone else will help because they're scared of getting involved. Uh, And then like specifically in Japanese culture, it's, I don't remember what it's called, but like not wanting to be wrapped up in someone else's drama. Like they had to make a law about it. God, it equates to something like a Samaritan law. Like if there's someone in distress and you don't help them, like you can be charged for that. But I did want to be a little provocative about this scene. I want to talk about our emotional reaction and our intellectual reaction. Okay, so I've been talking to some trans masks lately. These are people that pass as male very easily, and they were lamenting about uh, their role in our culture. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is male privilege, yes, that's a thing. But, you know, men also suffer from imposed gender roles, like what is and isn't expected of them. Specifically, was talking about like sexual tension and consent, and suddenly these trans mask people feeling like that their consent didn't matter, and if there was like some tension, it was assumed that they were the guilty party, mm-hmm. which is really freaky to think about. But here we are. So I thought about 
you know, that conversation really hit me hard. And I started thinking like, all right, what if I start looking at all these scenes and removing gender context and just looking at behavior? Like mm. violating consent is unacceptable behavior. You know, like just being violent against someone is unacceptable behavior. But would we feel differently if it was two women or two men? And I think if a lot of us, maybe not us here, but maybe a lot of people, if we're up there honest with themselves, they would feel differently. They wouldn't feel as like uncomfortable watching this scene because there's this gender stuff that's just indoctrinated in us to like not look as badly on this versus that or look worse on it, this versus that. Okay, so that's my first thing. The second thing is like, after I did that thought experiment, I had no sympathy for Mo Moeka in this scene. Uh, she's a human being uh, restrained by another human and having their boundaries crossed and without consent, but that person is a murderer that the other person has seen murder their friend over and over again. And yes, like they're emotionally disturbed and this isn't how you respond <laughs> in those situations, but this guy is a college freshman. I wouldn't expect him to know intervention techniques. Mm. I mean, it's a mess. It's a chaotic situation from top to bottom. But um, I, I feel like when I thought about it, it, it seems realistic to me. It's it's very well written. I think very well executed, too. It reminds me of a scene from RoboCop. I know this is going to be weird, but there's <laughs> okay. a scene where there's a scene where RoboCop saves a woman from being assaulted on the street and she like runs to him. But he's just an instrument yeah. of violence. Yeah. He can't console her. Thank you. Madam, you have suffered an emotional shock. I will notify a rape crisis center. And what she needs is someone to hug her and say everything's going to be okay. But Okabe is in this action role and can't do that thing for her in the same way. Yeah. It's um, by the end of the scene, though, and it, the, the momentary tension is diffused or the the, the, uh -huh. the, the height of their emotion comes down. And that's what he actually starts to default towards, at least toward the very end of the episode. Almost like he's working out himself. You're going to be abandoned. Mm. These things are going to happen to you. You're going to die in this room. And even though he's he, got he a apologizes. Motive, yeah. And he's like, mm. I won't let that happen. Once the emotional moment passes him, the adrenaline. he has some good sense. And the thing is, this has happened throughout the series where he is, he'll say something callous or ridiculous and he'll hurt the feelings of the people around him. And he'll try to make it better or he'll, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. don't do it in the first place. I realize like what we would say to him, but it's not like that he's unaware of the effect. He's not like, so ignorant that he doesn't realize that he is harming people. At least he gets better as that, I think, as the series goes along as well and yeah. starts yes. to carry that burden along with all the other burdens. And, and so you, I think that turns him from being something who would be like the RoboCop character, which he is kind of in that moment. I, I agree with you that that's like, mm -hmm. that's the only thing in his mind at that time, back into someone who is more sympathetic, someone the audience can root for. And I think it's this, that scene is such a great reflection of the entire series from one point of view, because we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Okabe is so unlikable out of the gate in a lot of ways. <laughs> he's just not, uns he's an unsympathetic character in many ways. Yeah. And he's so, could uh, be so, so cringy and, and, and so brusque and seemingly just a megalomaniac and all these things. And mm -hmm. one of the great 
part, the, one of the things that feels so much like a journey in this is not not just the, the time shenanigans, but it's the way he changes in the eyes of the audience. He becomes mm, sympathetic yes. that you, by walking with him through all this, your impression of him changes. Uh, he gets filled in around the corners. You see him change some things. This is, I guess, is a tangent. I'm sorry, or, or it's relevant. But when I was rewatching this these last few days, one of the things that really was really struck me was the imagery around connections. So some of, some of the very first images are of telephone wires and power lines and cell phones. And if you if you look at the moments when someone is talking and it flips around to a bunch of B-roll, like you're seeing things around the city or other people, it's frequently people on their phones or they're chatting to somebody else. Um, and lots of conversations take place on bridges or um, you have imagery of pedestrian crossings. You have lots of things mm. that connect two areas together. Uh, either physically or communication-wise, with the phones and message boards, and over and over and over again, you have this connection thing going on. And Okabe admits at some point that you know, he thinks maybe he started the Future Gadget Lab because he wanted friends, you know. And mm -hmm. in my area, you made a comment later about how you know in the spring you seem so lonely, but now you seem you seem happy. Um, even the thing to to expound on that. Even the thing where he used to put his phone up to his ears and say, it's me, yeah, yeah. the organization is after me. That has happened less and less as we've gone along. He's had less and less of these fake connections, fake conversation, imagining himself yeah. part of some organization until it's almost vanished entirely. It's because he's actually made real connections yeah. to people. He's actually mm -hmm. really forged things. Mm -hmm. And that's how he's starting to correct things. Is He's starting to... Uh, like we mentioned earlier, the fact that he was meaningful to Ferris and to Rukuko um, in the way he is, is part of the way he was able to overcome. And so it would seem, as we left off here, not knowing how things are going to turn out exactly, but making a more genuine connection to Moeka seems like, well, that's got to be the answer. Somehow, that's been the pattern to this point, that once he comes to er back to Earth, so to speak, and focuses on the people in front of him and connecting to them and not to mad schemes, things go more his way. Everybody's a little bit happier. Mm. And there's this kind of, if one, of the, one of the great decisions, I think, of the series is to make CERN faceless, anonymous. Yes. <laughs> this, you, you, don't, you haven't met anyone who is it. They're just a series of messages you read, all disconnected in time. There's no personality whatsoever attached they are the amorphous organization in a, in a real sense, but they have, there's no connection. Mm -hmm. They're not antagonist in the normal sense. They're, they're, it's yeah. like fighting a force of nature. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it really emphasizes the social connections, the personal things that's going on between the other characters as like mm. the force you start to root for. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even the rounders, the faceless goons, they mm. have faceless, they have masks, you know, yeah. masks on. It's 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 a brilliant choice. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, just for time. Sorry, can I jump in? For oh yeah, yeah, Ben. Oh my gosh, hello. Hi, Ben. Hey, sorry, special appearance. I, I was just listening to what uh, Theta was saying there. I have to be quiet because I got the baby next to me. But yeah, Okabe has really changed as a character. You know, but and I think in some ways he's sort of like become like the antithesis of the Okabe oh. that we originally met. But I think he's lost something too, right? Like we have this scene in here where 
Carisi is like, Okabe, like, don't you realize Mayuri was just like mm-hmm. trying to cheer you up? What's wrong? Like he he doesn't have that same flair, that same personality um, that he used to. He's like, yes, he's able to connect to people on a deeper level, but he's also he's just like very, very serious. And I think what he'll have to do by the end of the series, and this is a little bit of spoilers, is sort of find the midpoint in between these two Okabes mm-hmm. that brings the best of both, where he can make those real connections, but he still has that humor and that charm, and he can kind of have fun with people. Um, and I think that's sort of where we're headed, maybe. But the date with Rukako. Rukako yeah. Rukako, it was exactly that. Right? It goes badly when he's trying to be yeah, serious. Yeah, that's true. Take it whatever, yeah. and then he goes back to being more like himself. It actually turns into something nice. Yeah, so I guess he sort of, he already learned the lesson there, but I think he's got to sort of put it put it back together on the, the sort of more macro scale, too. Yeah, Akabi uh, seems like he needs to be taught things more than once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is interesting. I, it's just now dawning on me, like, the last two times Okabe did his character bit was to salvage the date with Ruka. And then prior to that was um, Makise was like, what's wrong with you? Like, at this point, you're supposed to be like, blah, 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 blah. And then he like, at her prompting, he does the little performance thing. It's a, that part of himself seems more and more like a, a bit of coping mechanism, does it not? Mm-hmm. And so as he has what even in the face of all this crisis, as he starts to acquire the things that he is missing in his life, in terms of just connections and, and, and being more serious and, and all that, that he, he needs it less. Mm-hmm. But he's not there yet. I, I agree. That like, he, even in this episode, you see the go all over the place as far as what Okabe is capable of for good or bad um, is not a single note. He's not the same thing all the time. And uh, it can be a little bit of a whiplash <laughs> at times. Yeah. But so much of the series, to a degree that not all series, um, to maybe most series are not, so much of the series is about him. We're so focused on him and exactly what he's going through moment to moment to the exclusion of so many other characters. Yeah, it's a great turnaround. My, my final thought about this episode is that uh, the implication of like, the way Moeka was manipulated, I, I would only assume that the rest of the rounders are the same way, that they're these damaged people that are just being used. Yeah, they're, they're vulnerable and therefore targets, I guess. I, I, I would be curious to see how that happened with everybody else. So do we think there's something sinister going on there with time travel where they've found in the newspaper archives oh people you know, who woman have... was going to commit suicide and then oh, they send her a message right before it happens oh brilliant that would be exactly the kind of thing you could do with a time machine yeah uh, wow yeah that is sinister okay uh are we do we feel good about starting the second episode yeah okay I'm going to put this link just in case again, anybody needs it. And okay. And since Ben is here, if Ben, or unless you uh, I need to stay quiet, do you mind doing the count in? Yeah. Let me just, uh, I need to click on the episode still. All right. Uh, three, two, one, play. So like is bronze daughter, Suzuha's daughter? Wait, what? You think Suzuha got with Mr. Braun? Well, he took care of her. 
And he's got a little picture of her at their um co- what the fuck is that thing called? Butsudan. Oh my gosh. So so Daru is Nye's grandfather? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if they filled that in yet. I think that's good headcanon at the least. <laughs> so we see the dragonfly land on his hand there, on Bronze's mm-hmm. hand. And the dragonfly we also get in the intro. Mm-hmm. Try looking it up a little bit. I'm not sure if there's some sort of specific imagery association with dragonflies. All that comes to top of my mind is that they look like butterflies, but they're predators. Oh, that's interesting. Oh my gosh. Maybe it's like the, you all know the birds aren't real conspiracy yeah. theory. No, they aren't. what? Oh my <laughs> God. What is it? They- surveillance drones. Yeah. The conspiracy is that, you know, the one world government or whatever, it replaced birds with uh, surveillance drones. And maybe that's it. Maybe the dragonflies <laughs> are CERN surveillance drones. <clears throat> that's great because this these two episodes together we finally spend some time with Moeka making her seem sympathetic you finally understand why she mm-hmm. is she's not just the weird socially doesn't know how to function person who's obsessed with texting and FB and then becomes the bad guy you've got you've had nothing mm-hmm. no reason to cheer for her root for her worry about her until now and see what's behind her, see what she'll do to herself, see how desperate she was. And now you care about her death in a way you never did before. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we get dropped in our lap. If we return to the where we started, Kuroso dies. But we didn't care about that in episode one. We hadn't spent time with her. We spent three minutes with her. Mm-hmm. But now we've spent 20 episodes with her. We care a lot. And Okabe cares a lot, presumably. Um, so I like that these two things come together. That this humanization of Moeka comes at the same time that it makes sure we remember that to solve this, we're going back to a timeline where Caruso dies, the person you now also probably care about. Well, so far, everyone's had to make big sacrifices to undo their D-mails. Well, shit, I mean, this is like about as big as it gets. Yeah. You know, it's Caruso's life and, you know, everyone's, you know, attachment, their relationship yeah. with her. And Okabe at some point is going to have to talk to her about that. You know, they're going to have to t- work through it together. What the solution or if there isn't a solution, like what the right dignified way to go back to that first world line is. It's um, like you see, I like where you put that. Everyone's had to make a hard decision to get to this point. Even Moka didn't mm-hmm. choose to message FB in the same way the others, but she does effectively choose to become a traitor, right? Uh, that was her hard choice yeah. in, in all this. And so now the choice finally comes to Okabe. You know, it's like, you know, you're in the end game now because it's his turn. It's like, if I do nothing, Mayuri dies. If I do something, Kuroso dies. How, how do I choose? How do I do? And I agree that because of who he's become at this point, he's kept Mayuri in the dark this whole time. And uh, we'll talk about that in a second. That's another thing I think is interesting about this episode. But uh, he has to talk it out. It's too big of a decision for himself, mm-hmm. you assume. And he, Chris has been, because she's the person who will believe him the easiest and the person who can help him the most, she's become the go-to confidant. He spent so much time with her that he never would have if he hadn't found himself in this time loop, probably, that she's become someone dear to him in the way Mayuri is, despite being very different people, and even the relationship being different. So this is not the same choice it was 19 episodes ago, 18 episodes ago. 
mm-hmm. this is completely different. And for, it's for the audience as well, because we we are exposed to the things he's exposed to only, and we grow to find these characters endearing, kind of the same rate at which he does, except for the couple we start with. So <laughs> it's a dilemma. In the same way, we kept thinking, oh, we just rewind the clock and we'll uh, we'll be fine. And it once again yanks the rug out from under us once it establishes a pattern. Yeah. You know, we've talked about uh, other media where, or, or just hypothetical situations. What if you could change one thing, you know, and you spend your time thinking like, what's the perfect thing to change to set my life on another course or to save the world or whatever. But there is no perfect mm-hmm. choice. There will be a trade-off somewhere in there. You know, there there will always be, I think, this monkey's paw effect. Mm-hmm. It's too much too many variables. I mean, the answer to that question is like, imagine if I yes. went back and decided, you know what, you should study harder for that test. Or you should ask that girl out. You should go to a different university, let's say. Mm-hmm. You can't repeat your life to make sure you get the things you, you want to keep. Um, so you're, you're making a choice to do that. And it's a good thing time travel's not a thing because you'll probably lose things you never thought of. And then how do you, how do you untie that Gordian knot, right? I don't know if I don't know if you have spent time talking about this in previous episodes, but time travel stories have a problem, which is that time travel is way too strong of a power in storytelling sense. It's too strong, right? <laughs> yeah. If you can always undo a mistake, well, then there's no stakes for the mistake. If you can just go back and fix, oh well, it's just like save scumming your way through a video game. If you could always back it up, oh yeah, then you, there was no true death. There was no real danger and then the scenes start to lose their tension you just well i don't i know they're gonna win i know i know the the guy who's you know you have like the overpowered main character you're not so much wondering will he survive this next encounter it's like well how specifically does he do it i'm not actually mm-hmm. worried about him i'm just curious to see how it plays out but time travel has that problem it's it's too strong a power but i think stein's gate does it's, it's to me one of the best of all time travel stories and partially it's because of how much it limits the power. In the mm. beginning, you can send text messages. That's it. Mm-hmm. And and they're weird, and people don't know, know what to expect them. You have no idea what the outcome will be. That's extremely limited. And then eventually you get a step beyond that, where you can send it, you, know, you figure out where they can kind of aim it specifically, and that's a little bit more precise. And then there's the time leap machine, but it can only go back to the moment it was created at first, and then 48 hours at max, because of the difference between present brain, old brain. So that's very limited. You can't rewind the clock on everything. You've real restraint on this power. You can't just go back and fix everything. The whole reason you have a story is because of how limited the time travel is. And then when we discover there's physical time travel, Suzaha having come back, it's also limited. She can only go backwards. It can break. Mm -hmm. What do you do when you're broken down in, in your time machine? There is no time AAA to call. Yeah, mm-hmm. and your dad hasn't even been born to help yeah, you. Yeah, it's like, what are you, you going to do? <laughs> or you have, might have amnesia because you decided to take your bike with you and it hit you in the thing and you, you were knocked out for, for yeah. half, a quarter of a century. So I think Steins Gate works to the degree it works that we have these very tense moments like this exactly because how of how limited their time travel is. You can't just go back and figure out how to stop Curiso from dying and everything's fine. That's, that's just not on the table. So we have a choice. We have this like Morton's fork of which awful decision do you go for between Mayuri dying and Teresa dying? 
And I think in addition to that, you know, it's sort of like a video game where you have like a health stat, but you also have an insanity stat, right? And so it's like you can go back and like you'll be at perfect health every time. But it's like it feels like our insanity thing is, I don't know what the metaphor is, building up at higher and higher where you're like, will he be able to get his shit together to actually do what he needs to do? Or is this going to like break him before he gets there? Yeah. Will you even remember which timeline you're in? Because the more you jump back, the harder it is to remember what actually happened for the people yeah. around you. I, I appreciate that it's like that for the audience too. I always love a story yes. when you when they go to great lengths to make the audience feel the same way as your point of view character. You know, make them feel the same feelings, or in this case, the same confusion. It, we get so many jumps, you're sitting there thinking, okay, wait, we're in this one now. This was back in episode like 10, I think, but I don't really recall. Do we know this information yet? Who, who is who mm -hmm. this time? And so we also have trouble keeping track of it as we get here. Uh, we're getting, we also are getting further and further from that original story. And so at the same time, the Okabe has been building more connections, right? More relationships mm -hmm. and coming closer to the real world in a sense. Once he starts doing all this to preserve that, he's getting further and further from these people. They're becoming strangers. He's becoming a stranger. He's pulling away. So we mm -hmm. just focus this time on how he and Mayuri have not spoken in a while, that she feels like he's slipping away from her is really meaningful. And the more he tries to save it, the the more he it seems to be slipping through his hands. So that's that insanity meter. I think that's a great way to put it. That like, who will win out first? Does he lose his mind or or make a, a mistake he can't walk back from, or does he find a way? It is one of the things that makes him sympathetic, right? We're also don't know it. We don't have a good answer for that. The, the time yeah. travel is very finicky. It's hard to aim exactly what you want to do. Uh, you don't know what the consequences are going to be. I just feel like that builds a lot of empathy between us and Okabe that's not there at the beginning of the series. And I think going back to that idea I was sort of mentioning of, you know, there's like the early episode Okabe, and then there's the serious Okabe now. I mean, that early episode of Kabe, that personality was the personality he kind of created with Mayuri and like to connect with Mayuri when she needed that connection. So I think it makes sense that she more than anyone feels like this new Okabe, you know, isn't the Okabe that she knows and, and loves. And he's going to need to find that old Okabe so he can connect to her again. And I, I think you pointed this out, Alex, that she's the one that he leaves in the dark kind of more than mm -hmm. everyone, maybe out of this trying to impulse to protect her from all of this. Yes. But he's going to need to figure out how to connect with her and let her in. Absolutely. <sighs> Damn. So I forgot how this show ends. I want everything to turn out okay. <laughs> I don't think it's going to. And like, Ben, what you just painted is like beautiful, but I don't think that's going to happen. Like, trauma it just changes you and you can't go back you know like th yeah. things get lost and destroyed and like i i just can't see okabe going back to that light-hearted role-playing dude I, I think that's very common in stories where you have someone who is like a well-intentioned extremist the someone who becomes yeah. the determinator as a as like a character archetype that because they choose their mission or their goal over everything else the story is often about them seeing that through, but invariably they lose something. Invariably there's yeah. a price to be paid. And, and uh -huh. whether it's their sanity or their relationships, or they, you know, it's, unfortunately I could name anime examples, but 
that's spoiling all of them, right? Because yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. after you say that, it's kind of like it's kind of hard to talk about some time travel stories because just knowing it's a time travel story is a spoiler for some stories, you know, that mm-hmm. it has. Yeah. That, and, and I agree that keeping her in the dark is is one of those things that it makes sense, but it's doing damage to both of them. Yes. Even if they get back to the original line, he's going to carry this with him and everything he went through. And Mayuri, I, this is the thing I want to bring up again, a second for a second ago, Nye, Mr. Braun's daughter, we presume, is a little bit like Mayuri in the way the story works with her in that she is an innocent. She's not involved. There's nothing on her hands. The same reason he's keeping mm-hmm. her out is also the same reason that it seems like the right thing to do is to protect her at all costs. She is almost the idea of she's almost an avatar of innocence and lack of culpability. You know, you, you can't you can blame Kuroso and Okabe and Daru for mutzing around and Suzuha or whatever, and Moika for getting involved. And you can pass a little bit of blame around, you know, like everyone's done a little something that they, everyone tried to change things. Everyone's dissatisfied with the status quo in some way. Um, even Ferris comes into this. But Mayuri is not. You, you can't pin anything on her. Nothing that happens yeah. is her fault. Um, just like Nye is such an innocent child, has no idea what her father's been up to, how he's done this. She's preparing the meal for the two of them. Has no idea. And it's tragic because of that. But you also can't blame him. I mean, you can blame him, but like it's harder to blame him for wanting to keep her from what he knew would happen if he tried to run, if he tried to pull back. But of mm-hmm. course, the two of them will never have a relationship again because he's dead. Well, And Braun yeah. is a puppet on a string, too. Uh, yeah, he makes a great foil, a great parallel to Okabe. And even Moika, you know, that's someone who uh, does terrible things in order to protect this one thing. And for her, it's a little more myopic. It's a little more like, you know, it's this relationship or imagined relationship with FB. But that's the one thing that keeps her going, that lets her do terrible things. Uh, uh, oh, there's one thing. Now that now we're talking about Mr. Braun, there's one thing I wanted to mention. Uh, I watched the sub in right now with you, and then I watched the dub to do the outline. And there was a fabulous two very different translations for a line for Mr. Braun, but both of them just poetry. Uh, he says when he's talking about growing up dirt poor, and he says, you know, this this line drops down to you. And he says in the Japanese, he says, as thin as a spider's silk, and as you climb up it, you realize your hands are getting dirty too, which is really just says so much in that little line. But in the uh, the English dub, they chose to translate it as you, someone drops this rope down to you, you climb up it only to realize that it's actually a noose <clears throat> and you're already caught in it. You're already hanging yourself, but there's nowhere to drop to. So you just hang on inside of this thing that's killing you as long as you possibly can. And like, I just wanted to note it because like, you know, both of those lines say so much in so few words. Yeah, this feeling of not having a choice. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't know. (laughs) I'm in my emotions now. (laughs) It's just grim. It's so good. And, uh, you know, there, there is this continued theme of or this like dramatic irony that these incredibly emotional scenes happen and then we erase them, right? Right. Okabe goes back and they didn't happen, but they only don't happen diegetically. Like one, Okabe, it still happened for him. 
He still watched Mayuri die over and over. He still just witnessed Mr. Braun shoot himself in the head like a champion chess player, right? He shoots Moeka with, without a, a second thought. It's so matter of fact when he does it. And it's the same way when he turns the gun on himself. Well, anyways, Okabe is experiencing these things. So they are real in a sense, but Okabe is also our lens. So they do happen. They are still there because we have a memory of them. And that's like, I don't know. I'm often fascinated by stories where someone is mentally ill mm-hmm. and they are are having these experiences that aren't strictly real, but they're no less affecting their physical being, their reality. And it the, the, this story does not disappoint. It's very, it's a hard thing to sit with because, you know, it would be nice to overwrite that trauma, but you don't actually get to. Like Okabe still has it inside of him. There's some things, there's some bells that can't be unrung and... And we mm. have to, we have to experience it too. I, I mean, that like, yeah, I think that's what the series does well is make sure we understand where Okabe is coming from, and it helps us understand why he makes some of the decisions he makes, or why he has some of the outbursts he does, or why he becomes the person he is versus how he was earlier in the series. And it takes us along emotionally for the same ride. We share in his perception of stakes. And the other people who are fighting for what they believe in, too, we are less sympathetic, too, purely because we're not seeing their point of view, right? We're not riding around with them to the same degree. You know, I mm. used the term a second ago, a determinator, and that's a TV mm-hmm. tropes term. I may mm-hmm. even brought it up before. It's, it's, one of, it's because I like that kind of character type so much. It's someone who determination is basically what drives them. And the reason I like it so much mm-hmm. is because you can set up multiples of those in a story and aim them at each other and who is right or wrong doesn't matter. Like what it is that they're driving yes. after doesn't necessarily have to be a, this is the moral choice. This is the immoral choice. Therefore the moral choice wins because I want you to have an idealistic takeaway from this work or the immoral choice wins because I want you to take a cynical approach to what I just write from the artist point of view with determinators. You can give them all good reasons and just, aim them at each other and let them crash into one another or fight with each other. And there's not a choice. Your choice as the audience sometimes comes down to not what would I do, but which character do I care about? Yeah. (laughs) So Mr. Brown is a, he's a determinator. He's doing all these things to protect, to, he got enmeshed in things, but he's got someone he cares about now from his, from his own moral point of view on the world. He's doing the right thing. He's making the only choice he, thinks he can make he's not running he's no he's he's putting himself in the line of fire in a very literal sense to keep protecting his daughter yeah uh and i think that i mean i i believe in the 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 potential goodness of humanity i think everyone in their heart wants to save the world but it's too big you have to find something some way to materialize that want And the most realistic thing is to save one person, to save a world. It's how we can function as humans, really. You know? Yes. The death of your friend is devastating. Imagine if you felt that way about all 150,000 people who die in the world every day. None of us would be functional. You you have to curate (laughs) the amount of things and people you're able to care about. 
because you're right, saving the world's too big. You know, my favorite expressions, and I'm not sure it's a, a quote I can attribute to anybody, but it's basically what you're just saying. You know, if you wish to save the world, start with the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. And mm. technically, if we all did that, well, it would work. Yeah. And, and like, even, you know, even one step more primordial than that, Moika, like, until she's safe and functional, how's she going to save yeah. anyone else? Now she's mm. in the world and can do something where she would not have been before. It's amazing. These episodes are very dark, very hard, very worth watching. Like, I am absolutely convinced of the brilliance and the beauty of this show in these two episodes. Like they're hard, but gosh, do they make you think really hard about what's happening? Uh, there's a lot of opinions to have. So yeah, I'm just, I'm very happy with where the show has gone. That's, that's one of my favorites. I was, you asked me to come on here. I'm like, yes, definitely. <laughs> it's meaningful to me. I got back into anime in 2011 after having been away oh, for a while. okay. And that was the year that Steins Gate releases, Monica Magica releases, um, oh uh, God, Fate Zero releases. So there were several things that came out that year uh, where I'd been away from anime for eight or so years. And like, wow, anime has come far. Mm-hmm. You know, Monica and Steins Gate especially was like, this is a level of storytelling I don't think I was just assuming I would get from anime just uh any random time because I'd seen plenty of stuff that was high mark and maybe more well it was fun to watch I guess and so Steinsgate is meaningful to me beyond only beyond just its uh, merit or entertainment value uh, it's like mm-hmm. this is one of the things that's like wow anime is really worth my attention now not that it wasn't before mm-hmm. but it was the, the me of then thought I should pay more attention to this and I did I'm glad you did uh, <laughs> I, I had my uh return in 2018 that was a pretty good year too it was so when you're talking about the people that die every day uh i have like a personal disclosure uh this is i don't know if it's like a grim thing but uh so i struggle with depression and uh yesterday i had an episode and i happened to be at an antique shop and i just kept thinking about how all this stuff around me just belonged to people who were like dead and gone and like we don't know who they are and it felt like their lives just didn't matter and it was so um painful for me i had to leave the antique shop but um i i had a thought that helped me get out of that funk that kind of ties into something alex said earlier about okabe's experience like he has these precious moments with people but he alone carries them you know that of course got me thinking about like dementia and alzheimer's issues and then like this idea about like one person is good enough that that just that it exists in this world that we live in and is experienced by someone, it can then be shared somehow. And even if the person doesn't remember it, like in the case of someone with dementia, they can still feel like your att- love and commitment, your attachment to them. And I feel like that does matter. <laughs> yes. So I guess... The thing I like about Steinsgate the most is like, it feels like whatever happens with the timeline, if there's a dystopia or not, like Okabe has like become human <laughs> and like, it's something we can all do. And that matters. I like that. I hope you return to that theme at the very end when you get there. I'll hold on to it. It's a little bit of a, a topic change, but uh, 
since Blixa, you came up with that theory about Suzuha and Mr. Brown, I was going to say, I was looking up on the Wikipedia and I don't want to spoiler anything, but there is a, a manga spinoff series that is about the timeline where Suzuha uh, goes back oh, and really? uh, like her and, and Mr. Brown. And, you know, I, I guess I've seen the one anime series spinoff for this, which I thought was really well done. And I think there's something, you know, that, time travel is hard to do but and sort of this but one of the advantages of this time travel multiverse thing is i think you know there's something that maybe just shows up for like a tiny slice of an episode but then you can explore that whole world and that whole timeline and in this longer form yeah i do i do wish that they had foreshadowed a little bit more these twists you know we get like fb on the screen we get Moika acting a little weird. We don't get much of like Mr. Brown acting weird. Sorry for the crying baby. But like rewatching it, there's no like moment where you're really like, oh shit, like I see the machinations of Mr. Brown or like, I don't know. Uh, I, I suspected him just because his last name began with a B. Well, it's not, well, that's the, that's the trick. It's not his actual name, it's the thing. Yeah. Akabi calls him. He keeps trying to get him to stop calling him. It's almost like, <laughs> dude, you're gonna blow my cover by calling me by Brown all the time when it's not my name. But yeah. even that, what Okabe calls people, you know, it's come a couple of times. Not not these, I guess, but he's always calling Kodosu different things. Christina, the zombie mm -hmm. assistant, and all this stuff. And he calls her a real name those mm -hmm. couple of times. It obviously means something to her. And then she realizes, I'm not going to remember that you called me that, am I? And it's like, yeah. it really, it's a, such a small thing, but it drives home that whole, he keeps getting further from these people. Like, it's sad on both ends, but the use of names in this. I'm with you in a general sense there, Ben, that like the others, things you can kind of, if you really peep through the scenes watching this. Yeah. Like, Suzuha acts weird from the get-go. It's actually a funny thing they do that, Okabe is so caught up in his own, you know, ridiculous machinations and proclamations that he misses the clues she's dropping early on because he, you know, how he always does the thing where he tries to like invent a backstory for people, <laughs> something else he hasn't done in a while. He's not really listening to people, but we in the audience could discern it. Like something's obviously very weird about Suzaha and Moika's obviously something there's, you know, you know, there's meaning to what's being shown, you know, the texting FB, well, that's going to come back in the story somehow. Let's just remind myself to keep watching for that to have some meaning because we wouldn't spend time of it on it uh, otherwise. But there is nothing like that for the reveal of Mr. Brown. But I guess in a sense of surprising the audience way, because they set up that something was weird about Suza and Moika, it makes us think we have all the information we need, that there's no more surprise, that mm. they're that, oh, well, the reveal is going to be something. You're trying to imagine what it is. Even even the misdirection of thinking it's a woman, you know? Yeah. And so while I agree it's not telegraphed in any sense, like there's no foreshadowing to let you pick up on it, uh, it's a little bit like the the D-mails not or, uh, changing the timeline in episode 19 there. You expect it to happen because this is how it's happened the whole time, and then it doesn't. And they try a different system of setup and, and send a second D-mail, and it also doesn't happen. So I, I, I can 
I don't know. I can I can chalk it up or give it a pass on just the sense of they're setting up our expectations. They've given us a pattern for how we expect things to happen, and then they yank it away from us in the yeah. same way. It's like you didn't get any yeah. you didn't get any forewarning that he had more to do with the story than just being their long suffering uh, landlord. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do wonder if that was intentional for the writers that they wanted us to be as surprised as the characters. Well, that also goes to the making us experience the same thing as the characters yeah. because Okabe is shocked. And so are we because there was no reveal and Moika was shocked. We actually get empathy with her in that moment too. She also can't believe it. Um, yeah. She got catfished. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, if we have a second, um, I think you mentioned in passing this term theta Chuni or Chuni Bio, which I had just yeah, like yeah. stumbled upon Wikipedia. Um, but can you sort of explain uh, explain that concept? So, the the real world the real real word is I think it literally means something like middle school syndrome, but it is basically a time we we go through imaginative phases as we're growing up, right? Kids make up things and they really get into things and they role play different ideas and fantasies in their head, whether that's playing with action figures or dolls or, or whatever, and then may live out much more ex- detailed fantasies as they get uh, older or get attachment to fantastical worlds or stories and even maybe imbue some of that to their, their own identity, their own life view. But it's supposed to be a thing you kind of grow out of. And so I think the, the term is a derogatory one, usually used for someone who's too old for that kind of thing. Um, mm. And so Okabe having these fantasies where he's, it's the organization or giving everything a, a name, Operation This with Norse mythology and, and, and yeah. all that is like, that'd be fine if you were in middle school. You're not. <laughs> and so yeah. you're being a chuni. You're being someone who is, has not matured in that way, essentially. And it's, a, it's definitely like a character trope in some anime. There, there's... There's whole series built around people who are that way, but you'll occasionally get that person who covers their eye and, and no, no, you know, I, it's sealed. The dark God is sealed behind this eye. You can't look at it. That's why I have to wear an eye patch. You know, <laughs> it's not real, but they, be, they partially believe it. It's a way of making reality more yeah. palatable to them. And it's almost always a sign of either some kind of immaturity or some kind of trauma or something that they are, uh, it's a coping mechanism or just a rejection of the reality they find themselves in. And so it is usually treated in story as a character flaw if they're if they're going to change or their weird quirk that, you know, makes them endearing, I guess, if they don't change. And so in Akabi's case, we start with, we, we move away from that as things get more real for him as far as the stakes go, but also as he starts building all these other connections to other people yeah so i think the wiki mm-hmm. lists him as having it and also ferris chan is sort of having uh, oh, touches yeah. of that um mm. and, and something that i thought was funny they said there is i forget if it was an actual subtitle they gave to don quixote or just someone once suggested that the subtitle should be 50 year old with uh chunibyo <laughs> with middle yeah, school syndrome yeah. I, i've, I've <laughs> so, heard something similar that the, the Don Quixote is like the original Chuni. Yeah, 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 exactly. So maybe it is this trope <laughs> that goes way back in literature of having this sort of diluted main character. 
Yeah, I, I think different than this series uses it differently than like say, like say Megumin, Megumin from Kodosuba, right? The sorceress explosion, that girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she's this. She's this to a T. She comes from a whole, well, I guess that's later seasons, but um, she's that, she is exactly that archetype. She's, everything's grandiose and needs a big introduction and she cares about the flair of it, <laughs> but that doesn't change because that's a comedy. That's, that's her bit. We don't get yeah. away from that. In Stein's Gate, mm-hmm. it's obviously a manifestation of something within Okabe. And as his situation changes, as he goes through all this, he gets away from it. He, he changes and it's an mm-hmm. obvious, one of the obvious signs. You love a you love a good redemption story. Steinsgate lives and dies on how you feel about Okabe as it goes. All the time travel stuff is cool. Yeah. The way it gets really convoluted and then unravels, that's neat, no doubt. But the impact of it, the the way it sticks with an audience, is whether you can get into his character journey, whether you can identify mm. with or at least feel empathy with what he goes through, why he changes the decisions he makes. You know, I remember the series, like I started off like, God, what, what about this guy? Huh? I mean, like uh, 24 episodes of this. Um, <laughs> and by the end, I'm like, my God, what a boss. What a freaking hero. That is to me the impact of the story as a whole, where he goes. Mm. I had never heard this term determinator either. And I kept hearing Terminator when you said it. Determination, Terminator. Right. And that's that's so brilliant, though, right? Because the Terminator, as it comes back in time, it has a single-minded pursuit. But then again, so does Kyle Reese. And I never thought about that as the parallel between those two forces. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. Oh, that's so great. And I I love (laughs) I know you you visited um, Monica Magica earlier this year, I believe. Homer, Homer is a classic Determinator. Yes. One of the better examples of it, I think. Well, and Cube is like the ultimate Determinator, like at all costs. Yes. He has one mission. <laughs> In total blue and orange morality, he, he just doesn't even make sense to us, but he doesn't, doesn't matter. He doesn't need to. I guess that's a whole different series to talk about there, though. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, this is so great. Thank you. You always, uh, uh, whenever you come on, you always change how I look at, if not the story that we're looking at, something else in our canon. <laughs> uh, uh, Theta, yes. um, let's put you on the spot one more time before we let you go. If people are enjoying Steinsgate, is there anything that you would recommend to them that tastes the same or maybe even just something to come down from? It? So I'm prepared for this question this time. Um, <laughs> and I have two answers. One if you want something very similar to Stein's Gate, my answer is not an anime, but a live action film called Edge of Tomorrow, also called oh! Live, Die, Repeat oh, with, Tom, with Cruise? Tom Cruise. That is as close to a similar, different kind of tone and arguably a yeah. different genre in some sense, but that is as close to repeating this whole thing that the is yeah. going through as I think there is in another work as far as things exactly and it's only a couple hours that's so a much smaller commitment yeah i have that manga somewhere around here yeah the uh all you need is kill or something like that is the, yeah. the name like mm-hmm. a, a name that does not work no one no wonder they couldn't figure out what to call the actual film <laughs> um so that would be my answer of something exactly like steins gate however if you are interested in 
a work for which you are rewarded to pour over it, to pay attention to the details, to watch characters go through some really real things and changing identity and trying to figure out the mysterious situation they found themselves in, then I want to do a, I want to do a current recommendation or semi-current recommendation, uh, which is a series we talked about earlier this year called Tengoku Dai Makyo. Which you'll see distributed, you'll sometimes be referred to as Heavenly Delusion. That's what the uh, manga is distributed under uh, here. Mm -hmm. That was uh, 13, I think 13 episodes in the season early this year. And I'm not going to tell you a thing about it. (laughs) Except that A, executed at an incredibly high level. The team had way more time than most teams get to work on it. And B, if you're the kind of person who listens to podcasts discussing something in episode by episode, which if you're in the sound of my voice, you are, <laughs> then you probably like works for which you are rewarded to pay so much attention to to get into the minute by minute things that are happening in a series. And from that point of view, mm. Tengoku Daimakyo will reward you in spades. And the story's not over. I think manga's still ongoing too, but an amazing adaptation of those first 13 episodes from, from earlier this year, from 2023. All right. I, I've been looking for a modern anime to check out. And uh, if people want more Theta in their life, how do they find you? How do we experience these wonderful uh, <laughs> uh, uh, movie fests, that, these film festivals that you're so hosting? Most of the time these days, I am on Twitch at twitch.tv slash nearly on red, nearly on red. That is also the name of my YouTube channel where there is a backlog of a hundred something videos, but I am not yet back to the point where stuff comes out there regularly also. So at the moment, find me on Twitch. Right now, anime discussions like this are the only thing I'm doing. But uh, yeah, that's it for the moment. Just the Twitch streams, just continuing to discuss things that are current and uh, so it's nice to come on here and discuss things that are 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're always stuck in the past. <laughs> well, it's easier to know winners and things worth your time after they're over. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> after, the, uh, after novelty has worn off and the things that stick in your mind are worth you know discussing. Like I mentioned, yeah. 2011, Monica Magica, Steins Gate. Mm-hmm, They've stuck mm-hmm. in my head all this time, and uh, those are the two you've done here most recently. So... All right, if we're ready, pen, pen, pals, pals, pals. Sai. Sai. Come on. On.